This is CliffCentral.com. Welcome to Leadership Transformation Platform, Multiplying Authentic Leaders, Moving Society. And that's what it's all about. We have a great leader in the studio today, or with us, in fact, we're at his offices. I'm Adrian Grunewald, with me, the old man, Louis Grunewald. Louis, welcome. Thank you. I'm looking forward to today, Adrian. Yeah, I know, exciting, and uh, a lot of energy, no doubt, will be flowing in this conversation. Go to leadershipplatform.com, one word, two Ps in the middle, for all things leadership. And, of course, you can find all our previous podcasts on Cliff Central website under Leadership Platform Show. This is our Leadership Masterclass, every Monday, 12 to 1. Take an early lunch and listen to our conversations with leaders where we kind of push them to share with us their thoughts on authentic leadership. And we will also get to that today with our special guest, Bonang Mohale. He's been on the show before, but uh, this time pretty much in a different capacity. He's currently the CEO of BLSA, Business Leadership South Africa, an organization that seems to make a difference. But we're going to find out more about that. Bonang, it's good to have you with us. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, especially with this young man. I always feel inspired in his presence. Yeah, he's young on the, the other side of the scale. <laughs> the old man, Louis Grunewald, we call him the old man, kind of brings us back to reality very often and the universal principles that we might forget in this modern world um, bring back simplicity as well. But today we're going to talk about this new role that you've got, Bunang. Before we do that, though, no more Shell. Hey, you were at Shell for quite a while. Eight and a half years. Eight and a half years. And uh, Shell is now history, good history. Yeah, it will never be history because eight and a half years, you get to be touched by people in a very special way. But one of the marks of leadership is to come in, do your absolute best. When you think you are done, hand over the baton to somebody younger, cleverer, and much more hardworking than you. Especially in this country, in this context, when so many of us dare to hope that joy and peace will prevail, it behooves us that when you are an African CEO, that you orchestrate and agitate to hand over to another African CEO. Because it's African CEOs that we need in abundance, not white male Africaners. Not because we don't like white male Africaners, but because we're hoping that they can teach us, um, they can continue to cancel coach and mentor us. Until and unless business can be broadly reflective of the demographics. We might as well, all of us, pack up and go to New Zealand. And you did that? I did. I handed over to an amazing human being, Obabu Shoni Pizwe, Justice Mdolo. He will be two years with Shell this October. He was our general manager of our retail business, the biggest. When we went to headhunt him, we knew that I was headhunting my own successor. After eight and a half years, I felt absolutely satisfied that the three, four things we wanted to do with that shell team of expanded 20,000 people, that it was done, that it is about time now that we handed over to somebody who can give it a step change. Uh, I, I hear what you say about someone younger, cleverer and more hardworking. I, I, I could go with the first one. Uh, in your case, <laughs> fine. Uh, someone can be younger than you. Yeah. Uh, that's life. Cleverer, not so sure. More hardworking, not so sure either. But I'll, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> Please take my word for it. Absolutely. I mean it. Quickly, just in essence, we're not going to go into the goal and the vision we're getting there of BLSA, Business Leadership SA. I just want to know what it is. For those ignorant people out there, they hear BLSA, and it's not a household name, but it's quite well known in, in some circles. What is BLSA? Business Leadership South Africa will be 60 years old next year. 
Today, it is represented by 80, 80 CEOs of major companies and multinationals listed on the Johannesburg Securities Exchange. There is no other organization that looks like BLSA because it's an organization of CEOs. All others are not just exclusively for CEOs. The reason why we need an organization for CEOs is so that you can have in a room the decision makers who don't have uh, to consult about how we move forward in space and in time in this 23-year-old democracy. So we recognize consultative leadership is important, but there are times when you need a decision maker to make a decision even without potentially consulting. In Speed fact, is often of the essence. Absolutely, but also they would have consulted in their own organizations. So for instance, in three days, the CEO initiative raised $1.5 for the SME fund. They decided based on empirical data, that when a young person can be employed for a year, their chances of getting permanent employment goes up by 80%. These people make the decision to say, you know what, we're going to start the year's campaign. And that's what they do, fronted by EOH, and that's what we go to try and, and promote investment into South Africa by South Africans themselves so that we don't have to answer Silly notions like there is investment strike uh, in South Africa by big business. Surely anybody that even utters those words has not seen the skyline of Sentin that is changing. Big, huge uh, head offices being built by Sasol, uh, Discovery, Weber Wenzels, amongst others, by private business. How can you say big business is on strike? Yeah. So, so I, we'll get to some initiatives in time. You mentioned two very quickly there to explain how, how decisions can be made and, and the impact it can have. Um, therefore, BLSA, very different from Business Unity SA, which is also business leaders, but it's more business leader organizations. Um, BLSA also is represented at um, BUSA. You would typically, I guess, go and sit there when those meetings happen. Is Absolutely. that right? Absolutely. In fact, BUSA was the apex organization created by Hulisa Nelson Mandela. When he became president, he said, there's 127 organizations. I only have 220 working days. If I spend half my time, the year will be gone, just consulting business. So I want, in the decisions that we take, in the best interest of South Africa, Inc., to have consulted business, labor, civil society, and government. And that's how NEDLEC was formed. Then he shipped... 127 of us, I still remember some of the people, uh, Milat Arnold, Lorden Lovu, uh, but other people that we've forgotten about, um, like Dianzilov, uh, for instance, we went to Skukuza. Uh, he gave us Deputy President Tabombeki as the leader of business. We had two Deputy Presidents at that time, F.W. Titlek was the other, to say, bring this about. And we did. 18 of us, weeks later, we were asked to go to Skukuza. We came up with a three-pager Mopani uh, Memorandum of Understanding at another camp called Mopani. It gave rise to Busa. The president looked the BMF in the eye and said, I want you to be the midwife uh, to this new organization. We called it Business Unity South Africa. The first and the second CEOs came from BMF in the form of Babu Pegisbia and Jerry Villagas, respectively. That's why when we decided to pull out of Busa, we took that decision too quickly, too glibly. We didn't understand and have a full appreciation of its significance. Here's a president, the first democratically elected, who said, we are now one people, one agenda, one vision, one dream. We have one national anthem. 
who have one national flag, it would make sense to have one voice of business. We took that to heart seriously. That's why we are broken, shattered, sad, tragic, and regrettable today that BMF decided to lead a walkout, but we are working very feverishly to make sure that we have a new apex organization in a matter of weeks, not years anymore. Because until and unless we speak with one united voice, we render business irrelevant, ineffectual, and indeed friendly out of the conversation that all of us must be defenders of our democracy. So that, that could happen, the Black Business uh, is it Council or whoever? BBC, Black BBC. Business Council, oh yes. They, they moved out a short while back and you're saying that the, the ideal is to bring them back in and to have that one voice again. But now back to BLSA, I mean that's the big picture, thank you for that history. You know Vic van Feeren? Very well. Yeah, he yes. was very involved in those early days. ILO now, yes, absolutely. Yeah, no. And he was my colleague at Sunlam. He That's used, right. used yeah. to look after human resource yeah. at Sunlam. An incredible, good quality human being. You know, he's now at, um, in Switzerland and, and, and doing remarkable work all over the world. Mm-hmm. I think a very valuable resource for our country. How does one become the CEO of BLSA then? So in this instance, I had planned 10 years in advance that I wanted to retire at 55 because I grew up in a farm and I wanted to retire in a farm, live off the land, think a little bit, reflect, because of a scary episodes that I came across. Bill Lynch started this company, and he said when he has enough money, he'll take his wife on a, a worldwide cruise, and he did, except that after he bought the ticket, he went for a physical. They told him that he doesn't have three months to live, and he left the $6.2 billion that he had inherited. Today, Imperial Group is being run by another in- incredible human being, Mark J. Lambeti, who started uh, Masmat. Right, yeah. um, and, and when I was MD of Otis Lifts, uh, we had a presence in 222 countries and locations. One day we went to Forte Village uh, in the island of Sardinia. 80 CEOs of the world. And when I was in that room, 75% of them were on to their second or third marriages. I looked at this as a business is antagonistic to family life. And within five years of my being at Otis, 40% of them had retired and died within two years. At Shell McWilliams, my boss, who was the second person I had after uh, I was hired, he retired after 33 years at Shell and he went to live in his farm uh, in the US of A. Two years later, he died. So I didn't want this to happen to me. I said, I love life too much. So I wanted to, to retire whilst I'm still lucid, whilst I can still work with my hand, hands. I wanted to ride horses, chase some cattle, uh, plant some millies mm-hmm. and contribute to food security because resilience in Africa, it's about food, energy, water nexus. Okay. But, but, uh, all right. So bringing that back to how did you become the CEO of BLSA? So you wanted to retire at 55. And why announced my retirement. Why am I thinking it didn't happen that way? Yes. And then three weeks just before the retirement, uh, lobbied, agitated and orchestrated, uh, the, my successor announced in February. I was finishing on Friday, the 30th of June. These 80 CEOs then spoke to me and say, you're too young to wallow in the surplus of your imagination. Come and help us and be the CEO of these 80 CEOs uh, being the first amongst equal. I was absolutely honored. I saw the bigger vision, the greater impact, and I said yes without hesitation. And by the way, they said they'll help me to look for a farm. 
Oh yes. yes. <laughs> so so you you've signed up for how long initially now? Is it a three year, five year? However long it takes. Okay, so there's no specific time period necessarily. How exciting! Just in short, before we go to the bigger picture, why did you accept? You, you kind of mentioned by and by why, but but why did you say yes? You could have been on your farm. Yeah, this for me is for king and country. This for me is to see how we can bring the voice of business back. Because business was very vocal. Business contributed significantly in giving us a democracy. Uh, people like Frederick van Slabet uh, with Don Mukwanazi led a business delegation to go and see the ANC in exile. Uh, defying a sitting president, P.W. Bota, they could have been arrested when they landed at Jan Smart Airport at that time, it was called. But they did because they could see that the time has come. They led not one, but a number of missions. Uh, secondly, business also was instrumental in the divestiture pressures to ensure that there's disinvestment in this company because we were declared a crime against humanity. Business led by people like John Hall then started the peace committees when black-on-black violence was at its height in Qatar Freedom Party and the African National Congress. Business went into their boardrooms and said to their own employees, help us to vote yes for the new democracy for one man, one vote. That's why we had a 75% majority vote. Now when we became free, we had the best constitution in the world. That, I must add, we wrote for Holisasa Nelson Mandela. Angelic in his posture, in his approach, he could not harm a fly. Now we realize that actually that constitution is faulty in the hands of potential despots, in the hands of potential thieves. In fact, we are at the verge where we nearly gave our sovereignty to one Indian immigrant family. And all of us are having a conversation about the significance of that. What it means uh, that so early on, 23 years into a democracy, now we look at the rot, the depth and the width. We are shocked. to the, How did it happen on our watch? Where were we? Because business was sleeping on the wheel. So I want to help rebuild that voice of business. And the best way we think we can do that is to demonstrate that we have fully transformed we are broadly reflective of our demographics. We get back our voice. We get our license to operate. Then together with civil society and labor, help to defeat state capture. So we'll, we'll talk about that as well in a moment. We've, we've got this hour, which is now less. But uh, you know, I really want to know how you think you're going to make a difference there. Before we go there, just for our, our listeners, uh, this is a very important organization. It's not Business South Africa. It's Business Leadership South Africa. It's it's CEOs of the, of large 80 large organizations the budget is astounding that they have access to the influence is astounding to the amount of south africans even that they're the leaders of so it's an important organization just tell us how it functions uh, you meet every month you have different committees just 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 tell us broadly what the organization consists of so exactly. that we know what it's like in one sentence we have a all 80 ceos from the council they come at least once a quarter the council has elected a board of nine amongst themselves, plus four corporate members, they are called the board. That board appoints its own CEO. In this instance, in this context, it's myself. I report to this board, and then I have an ex of about six people. The board meets every month, the council once a quarter, and then we execute on the mandate um, of this organization. Very briefly, we stand only for three things, honestly. Number one, 
It's about inclusive economic growth and transformation because the words come from the National Development Plan, our economic vision that everybody has bought into and what we have signed up to, which is the policy of this government. Number two, it's about the protection of our key state institutions because we were nearly in trouble when we collectively as a country, especially those rotten amongst us, wanted to kill the office of the public protector. So all the Chapter 9 institutions, the Independent Electoral Commission, in Africa and everywhere else in the world, we have learned that when despots want to take over power, like Venezuela and Nigeria, they capture the IEC. We want to make sure that it remains independent. And, and of course, the Office of the Public Protector in particular. And we are saddened that of all the things this current public protector could have ruled on and made pronouncements on is to question the independence of the South African Reserve Bank. Another target onto our institutions of democracy and therefore our Chapter 9 institutions. Now we have said um, state capture has become core to business. We are not politicians. We have no political ambitions. We're not party political, and frankly, we have no desire to get embroiled in the factions of the ruling party. But when it comes to what's in the best interest of South Africa, we'll make sure that the our economy, voice is said. Yeah. Absolutely. And then lastly, we said we want to position business as a national asset to bring and give effect to this notion of shared value. Business purpose is actually not to make profits. The purpose of business is to survive because if business can survive, it creates jobs. When jobs are there, people get their dignity, their self-esteem. Then we can address the three things that keep us awake at night. The stubbornly high levels of unemployment that then lead to increasing levels of poverty and increasing levels of inequality. The world is more unequal today precisely because business has not acted in the best interest of this notion of shared value. Shared value with our employees, with our shareholders, but also the communities where we have a presence. I get the feeling then that you feel business has not necessarily of late, I don't know how long, last few years, uh, taken its rightful place in, on the South African stage. Absolutely. Uh, why, what's the essence of why not? So there first, could, could be many reasons, but what would you say? So first, for 40 years, we've been talking about transforming this business, to transform it to what end? So that, like when you go to China and India and Japan, those companies look typically Chinese, Japanese, and Indian, except here, where we are an outpost of Europe. But also the culture is very European. The culture of our business is very European, not African. And yet we've got such an amazing gift of that which is uniquely African, even Ubuntu, how we are participative and collaborative so that we can take our rightful place within a global uh, agenda. Secondly, because especially at CEO level, when the ATCO sit in this boardroom, we look, I look at them and say, what do we look like? Do we look like South Africa? And we don't. 54% of the population is female, and yet their representations in position of leadership is less than 27%. So we are saying, had we transformed in the 23 years that we had, it would have made the job of defeating state capture that much easier. It would have rendered useless the narrative brought by Bell Pottinger to help two families only about white monopoly capital and radical economic transformation. For South Africa to say, this can be true. But this resonates because poverty today in this country still has a black face. Lastly, we are saying, had we just accepted one or two things to say 
this notion of each time you appoint a black chairman, now you need a white deputy chairman when the company has never had a deputy before. Therefore, sending a strategic conversation that says, we put you as a black chairman, but really we don't trust your abilities and capabilities. And this new notion of joint CEOs. I mean, Sasol has never had joint CEOs. Standard Bank has never had. Suddenly they have. Now suddenly they have. The conversation you have with the country is that when he's a black person who might have worked for 20 years for the company, it's not sufficient that alone he can put his arms or her arms around the totality of the company, the complexity, its overseas uh, divisions, etc. Now you need help. We're saying those must stop. But also we are saying an important point that once we have had an African CEO, it's still too early to start thinking of replacing this African CEO with a white CEO because what we need in representative numbers is African CEOs. We need more women. So we're having honest, open conversations about this. Lastly, we are saying as business, imagine if it was business's job to say we must pay decent wages because there's a problem when the, your own employees can't afford the goods and the services and the products that you produce, then there's something wrong. This gap between the executives and the janitorial services is not sustainable. And the answer is not to bring down the salaries of CEOs. The sustainable answer is to increase dramatically and substantially the salaries of the low-paid employees to create more wealth, to grow the economy, so that we can talk about the redistribution of wealth, not the redistribution of poverty. Louis, you want to say something? It's been worrying me for years, Bonang, that business does not have a cohesive voice. And we know CEOs, we know they represent leadership, they represent uh, fearlessness. So it's a very good sound to hear what you're saying because we certainly feel that our country is heavily dependent on what you're telling us to do. And we love the way you simplify it to one or two points. Not a lot of conditions just wanted to simplify knowing you it's also believable to us we appreciate your explanation but thanks a lot and i say that advisedly because when we were duped into pulling out of busa the reason was uh, business does not want to transform we should have learned that we are exporting negotiated settlement we are the masters of negotiation. If Mandela and FWT Tlek were not of the same mind, would not be free. Like the Palestinians, 50 plus years later, they are still looking for their Mandela and for their FWT Tlek to be in the same space, at the same time, wanting the same things, to deliver their constituencies. We don't appreciate that. Had we appreciated it, we would have put ourselves in the room as Busa, threw away the key and say we're not getting out of here until we have solved our problems because it is easier to tear down and destroy much more difficult to build and create to build Kosati took us 20 years it took one presidency to rapture it the ANC was founded in 1912 many years it took one president to make sure that on the way to 2007 Pulugwani the ANC divided. ANC Youth League of Mandela is divided. Kosatu is divided. Now business is divided. Now we have woken up as business and say, not in our name. Lastly, what gives me hope is that when we realize this, we said BLSA have a task team 
to determine under which conditions we'll be united again. We went to the Black Business Council to do the same. Ndabansele, the president at that time, started a task team. We went to Jabu Mabuza, an African, amazing human being, Dr. Jabu Mabuza, uh, and he put a task team together. So all we have to do is to amalgamate this. And the Black Management Forum that the then president pulled out under and I took over from him also as a task team. It's really just bringing the work done by these task teams to say these are the four conditions. How do we fulfill them? We launch a united business. And to do that, we do not need anybody's permission. We don't need any president to come and officiate. If he does, it's helpful. But if he doesn't, we need to go ahead with the work of business. That's what leadership is about. So, so we wonder why there's... Uh, uh a large element of division in our country. But you just painted the picture, Bonang, better than any politician could. We've got division there, we've got division there, we've got division here, we've got division there. Gosh, you know, somewhere we have to start taking leadership I think and, the, and create unity. Absolutely. I think this division was not an accident. Mm. You see some of our leadership that is not totally wholesome. Learned when they were in exile that even from the National Party, when you divide, you can rule for longer. You can extend your hegemony. They leverage that somehow to your benefit. Absolutely. They learned also when they were in exile to say there are ways in which you can make money quickly. When you buy crude oil, when you buy aeroplanes, and you buy arms. That's why the first thing we did as a country when we became free under Mandela, we are not at war with anybody. Everybody loved us. What did we do? We didn't buy new medicines for HIV. We didn't buy antiretrovirals. We said we're going to buy new arms when we're not at war. 53 billion. And the root cause, the intent was corruption. Corruption was not a byproduct. That was the intent. That's what we had learned. Now we had learned that if you divide your rule, that's why all these institutions are divided. And one person who stood publicly and said, I'm a one-term president, lied to all of us. He did a term in 2007 and did a second term in 2009 in Mangawu. His own Congress did not ask, how is this possible? Because you promised that you are a one-term president. They were happy but to go along with it. politicians promising and not delivering anyway. Absolutely. So. But a lot of them now are regretting and say, I am sorry that I said there's a tsunami coming. Indeed, it has come, except not for good, but it's a tsunami for evil. Another one said, I said I'll die for Zoom. From now on, I'm not dying for anybody. I'm going to die for the truth. So that's what we are doing as business. We are picking sides, and we have decided to pick the side of the truth, of good, of constitutionalism, of ensuring that uh, our key state institutions are protected because we nearly, we just nearly uh, gave it away. That's how close we have come. Uh, I mean, one of your intentions, certainly this year and further, I would guess uh, you say, I've read in the media, it's for business to be part of the solution more and not the enemy. And from everything you've said, we can go and listen to it again, and we'd be able to pick out the reasons why business has been seen as the enemy. Uh, a statement now this week from the ANC trying to balance the perception of the mining charter by saying, gosh, can we not be partners in this thing, rather than, again, instigating a, a sort of an enemy, a feeling of we're enemy, rather than let's, let's make mining work. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of horrible things happening in mining because of this charter and, and, the, and the way it's, it's dealt with, the leadership behind that. But basically from enemy to um, solution. We are saying, especially these three things that are keeping us awake at night, business is the answer, not the enemy. We say that with all conviction 
That's why we have spent a weekend with the South African Communist Party at Batchwood in Boxburg. And we came up with nine resolutions about how business is going to play an active role in promoting investment, starting with the self. Then three weeks later, we met Kosatu at uh, Mahalisbeck in Mount Grace over the weekend and exactly the same thing. We came up with 14 resolutions around four things. Number one on that was how do we create decent jobs? How do we grow the economy? How do we transform? And together with labor, how do we defeat state capture? I'm talking to Dennis George now. He's just given me three possible dates when Fedusa is available to do the same thing. Saftu, Zuelin, Zimavavi said, now these are unusual bedfellows, but these are crisis situations that need us to find common good and that's what we have done. And then lastly, the reason why we are doing it is because we know that business has a disproportionate voice that used judiciously it can improve the quality of lives of the majority of our people. So you mentioned four focus points for the next year that I that I discovered. Help com- combat state capture. We'll talk about that in a moment, a little bit more detail. Work with labor and government to get the economy out of this recession and going again, moving forward, create jobs and accelerate transformation. Absolutely. Okay, those are important. And when you look at the faces around this table with the 80 CEOs, wherever you meet, uh, are they committed that that will change in the next year or five? Is there is the commitment from the top down? We get our mandate from this council. And this council, you can see, really get it. So the first thing they did... But I, I just mean, sorry, Bonang, yes. it's, it's very easy to commit to these things if it doesn't directly touch me. <laughs> so I'm going to be the CEO for the next 10 years of this bank or, what, or this retail company. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to change. My face is not going to change. But all the faces below me will change. Uh, just the commitment at that level, sorry. Absolutely. And, and I'm glad that you challenged that, rightfully so. So what we are asking our CEOs, 80 council members, is to say, even though it's not your primary responsibility to replace yourself, but you've got a disproportionate influence, I did it, Shell. And we're saying to Stephen Kosef and to Maria Ramos at Standard Bank and uh, Investec, respectively, put systems and processes in place to ensure that when the next look for your replacement, that there's a pipeline of capable, believable, highly desirable, effective and efficient pipeline of African women in particular. That they can do. That's what they've committed to. And we've also committed to that. We're going to stop the things that we've been doing as business that don't help our case. Uh, collusion, price fixing. And all of those CEOs have said, but we have acted. There's not one CEO that was involved in this pre-2010 and even the bread uh, price fixing that are still in the room. Now we are codifying this in an integrity pledge, an anti-corruption oath that we are all going to take, sign up to, and then we say hold our feet to the fire based on this. Out of that, we're hoping to launch an integrity fund to say we need deep pockets to fight state capture because the other guys have lots of money which they've stolen uh, from the South Africans. They talk about 8.5 billion shipped uh, to Dubai. They talk about 21% in the contract of buying locomotives as part of the rolling stock of Transnet. That's 21% of 53 billion. We don't know of any black industrialist that has ever been paid 459 million rent like trillion was by ESCOM for not lifting a finger. 
So we're saying these are the things that we need to fight. We need as business to say not in our name. And some of the actions that we have taken, strong as it is, has led to the action. Ben Gubani left uh, at, uh, at, 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 at ESCOM, having messed up SABC. Saudi Mutsweneng, who is a joke uh, and clearly not the best uh, from the black pool of excellence uh, is no longer there. That board has acted. And we have said to the minister, you need to remove the whole board at ESCOM, find permanent CEO, a permanent chairman that is not captured. We have done the, exactly the same. And not seeing messed up at Transnet and you continued at ESCOM enabling the Gupta. Imagine you've got a 15 billion loan from DBSA, but you give 1.5 billion to a private company that is buying another private company. What has that got to do with you as a state-owned enterprise? These are the questions that are not being asked. And we say, where was that board in approving a 1.5 billion that clearly you can afford? Next thing you'll be coming to the ordinary consumers and say, we want to increase your electricity tariffs by 30%. That's not just being irresponsible, reckless. It's it's robbing daylight robbery. It's feeding at the trough. And it happened on our watch. It should make all of us restless, but not angry to a point where we lose our rationality. It's a war that we must continue to fight. I hope your openness and boldness is, is the, the standard for business from now on forward. They've been so quiet. Uh, of late, business has been speaking up, speaking up definitely, and that's good because business, you know, they fund politicians, they fund society, and they need to speak up with integrity, of course. Just quickly, that fund for uh, that you want to use to 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 uh, combat state capture, what, what typically will happen with that fund? So that integrity fund, we want to help people already in to, going to good work. Like Amabungani? Or Alta or those kind of organizations? Amabungani, to start off with, if somebody did not make us aware of the 200,000 leaked Gupta emails, the people who are benefiting would have still said, no, 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 this is fake news. Now, the authenticity of these emails is not questioned. Because what has happened, what has transpired, is absolutely true. What shocks us is, what is the NPA being so quiet about? Because the evidence is there. In other jurisdictions, when things like this have been leaked, the NPA equivalent goes to those people and say, that's what we hear, please, under oath, as an affidavit, write here and say, it's not true. Because if you do that, and it is found to be, it is perjury, it's breaking the law, it's anti-constitutional. Our NPA is absolutely quiet. And yet, a lot of wrongdoing has happened. A lot of stealing has happened. The entire money to buy optimum coal from Glencore, aided by the DMR minister, all the money came from ESCOM. That is poor has now been downgraded below investment grade. Is that all that we are about? And if you look at the math, 200,000 emails, 220 working days, in fact, it means this administration has been spending 113 emails an hour, every hour, about how to be corrupt, how to steal. Imagine if they wrote only one email a day about service delivery. Where would be as a people, as an economy, as People with great natural endowments. What a difference that could have made. How will these 80 CEOs, if I can be that direct, help get the economy out of recession? I mean, this is not, it's easier said than done. It's market drivers. This is just happening. What can they practically do to, to, to stimulate the economy? When you've got pick and pay who's trying to downscale, you've got mining under pressure, you've got, 
It's just everywhere. It's a global thing, but it's also self-inflicted to a large degree. This one is totally an own goal. I think the CEOs can continue to do the things that they did for 15 months before the president of the country poked a finger into their eye. For 15 months, we went to uh, the World Economic Forum in Davos and we took a social compact. We all signed up and said, we are going to do two things and two things only. Business, government, labor, and civil society are going to work to avoid a rating agency downgrade. First, the rating agencies, you pay them as a country to rate you so that people who want to invest in you have an idea as to the risk that they are taking. So it's not like these people are intruders or white monopoly capital or uh, regime change agents. You pay them to do this. We then said we are going to avoid that. We succeeded in avoiding it in December. And they told us only five things. All three rating agencies do five things. First of all, mind your politics. Because share prices are driven by rumor and speculation. So if your politics are not correct, it sends a message that says our money is not safe. Number two, they said, make sure that your state-owned enterprises are well managed and well governed. For what reason is that so important? Is it because they deliver infrastructure and services? Exactly. But also some of the state-owned enterprises, like ESCOM. ESCOM's balance sheet is bigger than the net asset value of most African countries. Yeah, that's crazy. Absolutely. And ESCOM knows how to have a rating agency's rating that is higher than sovereign. Because when Ruel Koza was the chairman, it had higher than the country. So it knows it has been there. But under wrong leadership, look the mess, the morass that is in at the moment. Okay, so thirdly, that was the second one, yeah? Yes. Thirdly, they said, make sure that your economy grows because you have 150,000 young graduates that get onto the job market, often with inappropriate skills. Make sure that the growth is positive. The NDP says 5.4% GDP growth. If we are growing at 7% every five years, we'll double the size of this economy. Lastly, they also said to us, make sure that all the governance structures around municipalities, etc., and your relationship with business provide regulatory stability and policy certainty. Just one thing, because it takes us six years to make a decision. Just make a decision and give certainty. Foreign direct investment likes that. So how could a business impact those five things? Because it's very political driven. There's strong political influence that's needed there, no, no doubt. But remember, it's, a, it's social partners. Yeah. But a large part of it, actually, business can influence. Mm. So we all agreed that we're going to work very hard. In fact, whilst we're on a road show, whose whole purpose is to encourage foreign direct investment, to position South Africa as a good investment destination. Then the president writes a letter Mm. to the whole of national treasure, not just to Minister Pravin Gordon, and says, come back so that I can fire you. So we met these investors. The next day, we had 80 of them lined up. We showed up. The minister is not there. And they said, you're not serious. Next time I've got one US dollar, I'll put it somewhere else. And it's not like we are without competition. When we did come back, he did fire them. But you see the significance. Eventually, yes. Yes. The, the significance of firing them. The reason why I couldn't fire them immediately is because Ahmed Kathrada decided to die. That's right. So, yes. So he waited mm-hmm. for that memorial service to happen. That was three days. Thereafter, he still went ahead and fired them, knowing we had said, if the 
politics are not correct, the stability and the policy certainty is not there, we'll get a, a, a sub-investment uh, downgrade. When we do that, eventually it will re- lead to a recession. A recession, you will be choosing to be like Venezuela, where the Venezuelan doctors are washing toilets in the US of A. That's the choice you make. This is not an accident. So we knew. But the significance of what the president did, this is the most wholesome cabinet reshuffle in the history of this country. Not even P.W. Border did that. So many ministers in one day, not in the best interest of the country. Now, he performing did it, ministers. Not, yes, not. absolutely. He did it only for politics, nothing else. Not about the poverty is going to plunge the poorest of the very poor. No, it wasn't about that. It was, how do I make sure that I don't go to prison? So we have a Congress that has a president that has clearly demonstrated, not once, but many occasions that I'm not going to act in the best interest of South Africa, Inc., not in the best interest of Team South Africa. In fact, I will never act in the best interest of the poor of this country, but only for the two families, the Zumas and the Guptas. And that's what is frightening about it. That's how it happened. But when we were working together, we managed to stave this off. Now, unfortunately, we can in boycott as a business investment into this country. We can't boycott SME fund and the YES uh, campaign. We need to continue, irrespective, because business always outlives regimes, always outlives governments. So as business, we're already thinking, what are we going to do beyond 2019? Who are we going to work with? Who are we going to partner with? Who's a credible, trustworthy, wholesome partner mm. with integrity? Okay, so... Uh Louis, I don't know if you want to come in here, but um, bold statements, clear, simple, very direct and, uh, and, and frank towards the president. The power of a leader, Bonang, the power of a leader of an organization of 40,000 people, the impact that that leader can have on them, on the future of that business, that's why they paid so much. But a frightful responsibility. And here you have the CEO of a country who's, who's, who's being allowed, actually, by a tremendous organization that this country needs, the ANC, to to destroy us yeah. in, in many respects. So business is now clear about that, right? Absolutely. Do you have a mandate to be this, this open and honest? Or is oh, it, yes. Oh, yes, yeah. absolutely. This is clearly mandated. But you know, the frightening thing is that leadership theory, not management theory, teaches us this. There was an article in 2010, um, Harvard Business Review, that says the effect of one CEO, a leader on an organization, is anything 30 to 40 percent. Today, when you speak to Professor Nick Binadel, that number has gone up to 50 percent. The choices a leader makes for his own organization contributes half of that company's performance. Now we know that. So the choice of the next president must be viewed with the same significance. This is not a playing matter. It has taken South Africa 20 years back. If you take an example of a country like Zimbabwe, Mugabe 93 wants to stand for re-election. If he did what he wanted to do only 10 years ago, it will take that country 30 years to be where it was in 1972. Now, we have consciously joined an Ivy League of 23 countries in 19 years that have been downgraded. It has taken them from 2 to 13 years to come out of this recession. On average, seven years. Imagine if we didn't have this own goal, this self-inflicted pain, where would be in terms of building houses, of building schools? Lastly, we work with schools. This is where leadership is potent. 
and schools because our education has really gone to the dogs, not to talk to the pupils, not to talk to the teachers. We talk only with the principal in an entity called Partnership for Possibilities. We work only with the principal and say, let's make you a, a better lead. That principal has 30 to 40 people that this principal is responsible for. In one school, the pass rate was 40. Today, it's 85% just by working with the leader. Because when the leader believes I'm a leader, the principal believes I'm a leader, school starts on time. The teachers spend time in class teaching. It is so logical. And the results are a logical outcome and indeed consequence. So we've got lots of case studies where business has really intervened and we want to demonstrate and share these learnings but also we want to roll our sleeves and work to build a post-2019 South Africa where all of us can prosper equally. And let's get out of the recession or uh, upgrade it again within the two-year frame or the five-year frame rather than seven plus if we can and, and hopefully people like these CEOs standing together can, can make that difference. Absolutely. That, and, that kind of unity and business unity altogether. You know? Absolutely. And the, and the good thing is that we don't even have to reinvent the wheel. We just have to say, how did South Korea get out of a recession in just two years and borrow the model and steal it unashamedly and do and execute? The Marshall Plan after Germany is what we modeled our reconstruction development program on. We didn't have to invent the wheel, but the power of the RDP is not its simplicity and the six pillars. It's the fact that business had signed up on it, government said it's our strategy, labor said we'll support it, and civil society said we'll support it. That's why it broke our heart, that before we could even give it traction, we even had a ministry of the RDP, and then we introduced gear. When we had no business to change it at that time, we were on an up and forwards path. But the next president did give us 43 consecutive quarters of positive GDP growth. The highest was December of 2007 when we were 5.4%. Imagine if we go to go back to those glory years by doing everything by the book, wholesomely in the best interest of the people in Langa and Nyanga and Mondlo and Kukuletu and Katlo and Togos and Fuslores. But it starts with leadership. Absolutely. Just like a school. Really? Just like a country, just like a, a business. All right, let's let's take a few minutes on leadership. I know you're a passionate leadership student, and and maybe we need to end the show on on that note in the next ten minutes. What kind of leadership do we need in South Africa? Do we need around this this table of eighty CEOs, politicians, business, civic society? If you had to break down the attributes of the kind of leader we need, so that we can take that maybe and go to schools, and take that and go to universities, wherever. Leadership programs. Let's, let's try and incorporate that into our society. Are we clear about the kind of leader we need? Absolutely. And for me, I really contrast it with management. Management is about getting things done through others. Leadership is about being genuinely obsessed with the development of others. When we say a better life for all means a better life not for us, but for the masses. For me, leadership it's about two things. It's about movement and about influence. It's about accepting that you've got a disproportionate voice. The 80 CEOs in this room, when they say something, their whole organization goes running to make sure that it happens. The leader of the country needs to say, we want to build houses. 
all of us, including business, will run around like headless chickens to make sure that it happens. We want growth. That's what we'll do. Secondly, it's about movement. Leadership is not just about planning and not executing. In fact, South Africa is a good example. All our minerals, all of them, were either number one or number two in the world. Platinum, 80% uh, of the world production. Gold were number one gold producer in the world. Our problems have everything to do with our inability to manage, just to plan, lead, coordinate, and organize. For me, General George Patton's words ring true when he said, great wars are won by good execution, not great plans, because good execution will save even a mediocre plan. South Africa has made plans until they come out of their ears. As Giza, nine-point plan, here, RDP, now is NDP, and we even have the national growth path as if the confusion is not enough. Execution is where we are really poor. The doing. We don't do that. So it's about movement. You need to move forward in space and in time. The last three attributes, for me, absolutely important. Some sort of a compelling vision. We followed Mandela because we knew that he was leading us to Nirvana, a place we have never been, which is substantially better than where we come from. Secondly, it's about courage. Today we have lost our courage as business. We have lost our courage as a Congress to confront a corrupt president, a stealing president. The evidence is in front of our eyes. This president is stealing from day one. We still have not acted. In fact, we reward the president with a second term. That's not courage. Courage means speaking truth to power. Courage means acting even if it at your own personal sacrifice. Courage is what Mandela did as a middle-class lawyer, well-educated, well-connected, deciding to go to jail for 27 years for the freedom of all of us. Lastly, it's about integrity. We don't talk enough about that. Integrity means wholesome, without blemish. How will it appear? Today, the standard is, but I've not broken any law. We elect people that are facing charges. And you say, they've not been convicted in a court of law. Leadership is about saying, but what about the moral standard? What about the higher order that we need to hold leadership to? It can't just be, but they're not convicted. I'm so not caught. Yes, uh, yes somebody has not, not been caught. caught. Absolutely. We have a president that is facing 783 charges, manipulated that to become a president. Then the highest court in the land said those charges have been reinstated. He appoints the head of the NPA who does nothing about it, like we have done nothing about the emails. The same way that we have done nothing about the chapter 5 of the Constitution that talks about equality before the law. So we have been complicit in this. That piece around integrity says moral fortitude, acting in the best interest of others, not being self but the other-centered. That's the type of morality, that's the type of leader that we need moving forward. And clearly, we have lots of examples like that. Uh, in the ANC itself, the 400 uh, members of parliament of Kholisata, Nelson Mandela's first cabinet, any one of those could have gone on to become an incredible best president in the world. We are where we are now by our own choice. Nations deserve the leaders that they get, that they vote for. That they—that's the—that's the, the flip side of democracy, I guess. You know, you get what you deserve. So let me let's quickly unpack this. Uh, the, the first one, did you say influence? The disproportionate voice that a leader's got. Influence and movement. Okay, and then you said movement. 
which we love a lot. We, we even have the universal law of movement that we share with mm-hmm. leaders, you know, creating movement. You say vision, uh, courage, and integrity. Do you want to comment on that simple? That rings a bell. I could listen to you all day, uh, none. When you're done with this, you can have your farm and do motivational speaking. Louis, comments on that? Bonin, Bonin, um just one question about this. Um, uh, we know the terrible harm that was caused, uh, and I think the, the Gupta emails was a tremendous benefit. I believe that a new kind of affiliation is uh, coming into our country, where people are now affiliating and affinity across party lines, across uh, traditional uh, organizational lines and I think this alone uh, captures the spirit of what you're saying Is so people can sit across a differ uh, yeah, being ANC or the old ANC as they say, another party but they can be fully united on what you're saying here. Do you believe the country is seeing that kind of uh, a surge of a new kind of affinity? Louis, I couldn't agree with you more. We saw it in Cape Town, in PE and East London in Tswane and in Gauteng, when people willingly, willfully stepped out of their comfort zone and they said the president must fall because they had reached the end of their tether. We have seen a new form of activism that is reminiscent only of the United Democratic Front when the UDF was formed. It's because the country had realized that we are in a moral, self-perpetuating, vicious cycle of abject poverty. We inherited a technically bankrupt state, so we needed to act. Today, the crisis of leadership is no less. How else do you explain the fact that you can have a president that gets get, get rid of the most hardworking, most committed ministers and their departments are functioning, and they leave the ones that the courts have said, you need to censure, you need to fire these, and those still stay. How else could you explain the fact that only 23 years into democracy, we have even forgotten the values that are contained in the 1955 Freedom Charter that simply says, we shall give free education to the indigent. Today, when the students come to us and say, let's test the warranties of these statements, every single solitary one of the ANC election manifestos says free education for the poor. We say it, but we don't plan for it. Therefore, we don't budget for it. When they come and ask for it, we wait until they ban campuses and they ban art and they say we need to decolonize. When for 23 years we've been thinking about it, but doing nothing about it. That is the morass that we are in. And imagine if government humbled itself and said, we are unable to deliver books in Limpopo in just one year. SAB Miller delivers to twice as many shibins as there are number of schools. 25,000 schools compared to 60,000 shibins twice a week, every week, without any fail, if we used only that infrastructure. But leadership says, why are we even delivering books in the 21st century when we are talking in Davos about the fourth industrial revolution of artificial intelligence, of driverless cars, of robotics, of cryptocurrencies? Why are we not loading the entire curriculum in one um, tablet for the entire 12 years of study, textbooks and everything, rather than bending the backs of our children with heavy books that get lost when they cross the rivers, they get wet. And as a result, we give them absolutely no chance. Uh, so true. I mean, the, the bags that our 12-year-old, 13-year-old, it's so big 
and that she drags on wheels, and it's just ridiculous. And for one, I remember for one year, our son uh, had a, just an iPad class, but they just experimented, and then they went back to books. But he walked to school with his iPad, you know, with his tablet. We, we know we can do it, and there are obviously challenges. We've spoken to many principals. But what I hear is it, it takes visionary thinking, and, and it takes courage to do these things. Because it's a leap of faith. It's 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 a it's a exponential change, mm. uh, and that's wonderful. Mm. We don't need but it also needs partnership between government and business. Because yeah. business use iPads every day. Government does not know how to look after the iPads that they issue. Businesses secure their premises every day. Governments can't even keep the fence in the schools where they've put these iPads. That's why they walk the next morning. The roofs walk. Uh, so. By partnering with business as a credible partner, we can achieve so much rather than calling them name and calling them white monopoly capital and saying business is the enemy because business was never the enemy. When we were in the depth of apartheid, business took children from here and gave them scholarships to go to the US of A to go and learn and in, in Zurich and uh, in the Netherlands and they came back and now they are ministers. Most of that cabinet when they came in, they didn't even know about public service. We brought the uh, Harvard School of uh, of, of, of governance here to teach them. We took them uh, to the states as business because we knew it's manifestly in our interest to be led by a leadership that fully commits on the basis of full understanding. The attitude of division rather than the attitude of unity. Bonang, we're at the end. We want to help as leadership platform, and we'll talk a bit about that afterwards even. But give us a message for, for businesses out there. Not, not all CEOs sit around the BLSA table. Those are just 80 CEOs of large businesses. What's your message, briefly, succinctly to CEOs, to leaders out there, maybe beyond business even? I think as CEOs, the one thing we really need to take to heart by deeds, not just by words, is transformation. Transformation means a change in form. Transformation means fundamentally breaking with the past. We do it because... If we do that, we give effect to the South Africa of Kholisasa Nelson Mandela's dreams. We achieve nation building so that we can realize inclusive economic growth in our lifetime to get the desired social cohesion. We are an amazing, incredible, God-given country. If only we expanded 10% of our potential in partnership, no country in the world can touch us. Bonang Mohale, CEO of BLSA, Business Leadership SA. Wow, what an honor to speak to you. And as people say to me, even on Twitter, it's going to be an exciting conversation. They didn't have to tell me that. I knew it. I know you. I know your energy, and we appreciate your leadership. Good luck in this position. It's a, it's a big job. There, there, there's been perception in the past that BLSA is a nice talk shop, just another nice talk shop. And, and maybe there were times that they did fall into a bit of a rut. I don't know. But I think that rut is over if there ever, ever was one. Uh, Louis, final comments. No, I agree. I think the rut is over and uh, we'll do all we can to support the spirit. It's a new, it's a new spirit and I love it. I love it. That's Bonang Mohale, CEO of BLSA. You really have to listen to this podcast more than once. In fact, share it with leaders around and it will be available very soon. Thank you so much, Bonang. And uh, it's been wonderful being with you. We look forward to being with you again next week. Trust me, another great authentic leadership conversation will follow. Stay tuned for the business masterclass. Cheers, everyone. This is cliffcentral.com.